0: Morena, it's a funner. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Watch out. This week we're starting a new series. Um, we're going to be diving into the life of two quite famous prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And um, look, there's some rhyme to reason in how I organise sermon series and stuff. Uh, What we started with at the beginning of this year was the Warren of Fitness. um, And that was really all about a personal reflection, a personal kind of tweak to where are you at in your relationship with God? Where are you along in your own spiritual journey? And so we went for a few weeks in just unpacking, you know, some of those core aspects of our own personal journey. The next series, we went to the temple and we kind of focused on God and what he would have expected from us, what, what he is about. And, you know, we kind of unpack God's heart uh, in, in that last series. Well, this series, we're actually gonna see what it looks like in action. You know, the whole thing about, you know, being quite introverted and looking inside of ourselves and, you know, kind of reflecting on where we're at and then looking outwardly to who God is and what he wants. Well, how does that work practically? And we're gonna look at it through the lives of these two prophets. Elijah, apparently, um, you know, these guys were so famous, but they didn't have a book. And they're really well known for being quite strong, but also sometimes just seemingly running away from things. So in part, I'm hoping you take heart from this, but I'm also hoping that you'll be challenged by what we're about to embark on. Because it's all good and well to think about what God wants and even what we want. But how do we then put this into action? Well, that's sometimes the hard part. Ready for it? Okay. Starting with, of course, you know me, anyone who's known me long enough, we've got to dive into the history. Okay, let's find out where we are at in the scope of things. We're going all the way back to, oh, three, was 3,000 years ago, a long time ago. In 1120 BC, that is when the Promised Land is given. You know, the Israelites get it and they divide it up amongst all the brothers, the 12 tribes and everything's kind of really good and well till you get to the book of Judges when it gets really weird. But in the meantime, they have their land, right? Now, if we fast forward a couple hundred years, the kingdom splits. Solomon, the king, dies. Solomon, who's David's son, he dies. And when, he's, when he dies, they kind of start fighting with each other. And the country splits in two. To the south, Judah which also incorporates Simeon. They kind of get amalgamated into Judah, into the north, the other ten tribes. Now, the northern kingdom is a fascinating kingdom. You know, we talk about, you know, a lot of unrest in our time and our day, but you've got to imagine what it must have been like living in Israel. For Elijah, for example, he was only born 30 years after the kingdom split. We don't know much about the guy other than what we read, especially in 1 Kings but he was born about that time. And he really comes to the fore during the time of one of the Israel kings, his name is Ahab. Anyone know who Ahab is? Yeah, not a very nice guy, right? But in his defense, everyone who came before him weren't nice either. There were eight kings, he's the eighth king of Israel. And only, I think two of them died of natural causes. The other five were all murdered. So if you think of unrest in the space of, what is that, uh, 100 years, 8 kings, oh no, what am I saying, 60 years, 8 kings, 5 of them murdered, in fact, Ahab's father, Omri, who was the previous king, he partook in killing 2 of them, he was one of the guys that had a natural death. Ahab took over, so there's a lot of turmoil going on in Israel at this time, it's not a fun place to be. If you're just an everyday citizen, you're scratching your head thinking, when is this going to calm down? If you think it's bad having some of our political leaders today, imagine having them for 60 years just messing things up and the next one's worse than the other one. And you thought that one was bad, well the next one comes along and they murder him. The tabloids would have had a field day and forget about social media back then. They would have just gone nuts but it was just a real time of unrest. And Elijah pops up for the first time in this passage. It's in 1 Kings. Uh, I can't remember the chapter, we'll get to it in a moment. But Elijah himself, we really don't know much about him. All we know is that his name means this. The Lord is my God. Now, that's a fascinating way to start your ministry when your name means the Lord is my God. Now, we say that today, don't we? We as Christians, who is our Lord? So what does that mean? What does that mean? Elijah's going to show us what that means through his own life. He pops up in 1 Kings 17.1, he says, now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, now, Tishbe is just to the east of Jerusalem, it's in modern day Jordan today, it was part of the land of Manasseh, but that's all we really know about this guy, that's his history right there, that's all we know about this guy. He just pops out of nowhere in chapter, one, in chapter 17 verse 1, and he goes to Ahab the king, who's Remember, not the very nicest of guys. And he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. If you think we've got an economic crisis at the moment, interest rates are going up, tomatoes are at $14 a kilo if you're lucky. How much were the eggplants, Mon? That was crazy. Like $10 If we think that's bad, put it this way, these guys are going to die. If you're talking about an agrarian society that relies on rainwater, you stop that, you turn that off, it's not just a question of an economic crisis. It's a question of life and death. Saying this, he's condemning a whole bunch of people to death it's actually really serious i'm fascinated by our modern day prophets you know i arrived in the christchurch in 2010 in july 2 months before the first earthquake hit you know we got through that one but then of course february came and that really rocked things around a bit and the amount of christians prophesying that we we're going to get the worst the worst was still to come it was ridiculous. I'm like, do you know what you're saying? Do you know people are going to die? Are you okay with that? Not long ago here, just prior to, um, prior to COVID, 2018, there was a prophet that lives up in Belmont saying that an earthquake was going to hit before the end of 2018 and that the whole Hutt Valley will be underwater. And one of our people was so caught up with this. Rob, we need to do something. And I'm like, why would, if it's not from God, which obviously it wasn't, how can you just so quickly palm off the lives of people like nothing? Prophets in the Old Testament never did things lightly. And they suffered immensely for it. These weren't just simple words and then they'd go up into their little high places and hang out and wait for destruction like Jonah did. The majority of the prophets suffered immensely, bringing the word of God because the anguish of what they were sharing. The suffering that was incurred from having to share a word that meant many of their brothers and sisters would be dead or brought into slavery. Slavery. He says this, and unlike our modern day prophets, Elijah doesn't really have a chance in that moment to do anything about it because God's got an immediate plan for him. Then the word of the Lord, the very next verse, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. So rather than go like Jonah did, sit up, you know, Jonah, what he did, he went up on the hill there, he set himself up with a chair and a whole thing. He had a, you know, a nice large Coke Zero right next to him with a big straw, you know, a little sun hat, sunscreen, sat there and waited for Nineveh to be destroyed, which many of our prophets today seem to be doing. God tells him, you need to go and hide in Kerith Ravine. That word, Kerith, you know what it means? Cut down. Chopped down, broken, you're going to go to the cut down place to the broken place, and that's where I want you to be. And you're going to be there all alone. What? Really? Why do I have to go to the broken place? What? what, what? Lord, I did what you told me to do. Ah, You see, we think that the big picture, when God is first and foremost far more interested in you, he's far more interested in what's happening with you. And with Elijah, God's got a work to do with him. Yes, need you to do this big thing. He's done it. Now you and I need to talk because there's more big things to be done and I need to work on you. I'm going to take you to the broken place. I'm going to take you to a place where you're going to feel like you're alone, like no one loves you. You're going to feel like you're cut off. Another meaning of kereth can also mean cut off from blessing. You're going to feel like, where am I? What am I doing here? Where are you, God. He's taking him to a broken place. <laughs> uh, I, I tell this story because I, I train young leaders at Arrow Leadership, you know, a group of young Christian leaders, and I tell this story about, well, it, it, it's a great, great lesson. It's about Little Birdie. Um, actually, I heard the story first from um, uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle, who, was, who, who told the story, and I've latched onto it. Um, the story about Little Birdie is: Little Birdie is ready to fly south for the winter because the winds are coming, the cold, and the rain's coming. And so, but he took his time, and while all the other birds took off, he was a little late in starting. And when he finally got going, he got caught in a snowstorm. And poor Little Birdie was flapping away. It was freezing cold, and he started to feel his wings begin to freeze and his whole body begin to freeze and poor little birdie was struggling and struggling and struggling and and then inevitable happened he crash landed in a field and he just sat there and he thought whoa this can't end this way I'm freezing I can't believe this there's no way it can end this way this is horrible what a horrible way to go I can't handle this what am I going to do what am I going to do and in that moment out of nowhere a cow appears And the cow walks right up to him and dumps on him. Whole load of manure right on top of it. And of course, little birdie's like, oh, this is great. I didn't think it could get worse, but it's worse now. But all of a sudden, the manure was kind of hot and he started to feel himself thaw. And he's like, oh, I can move my wings. I'm gonna live. Oh my goodness, this is great. And he's chirping away real loud and everything else. And while he's doing that in in the manure and starting to free up himself, Satan's creature, the cat, comes by, hears the chirping, digs him out and eats him. That's a horror story you could tell your kids at night. But there's two lessons, it's two lessons that come out of that. First of all, not everyone who dumps on you is your enemy. Secondly, not everybody who digs you out is a friend. I think sometimes we forget, (laughs) we forget, God needs to reshape us. It's not an optional extra. And sometimes we might feel we're in right where little birdie was. And we don't realise the importance of actually being there. When I first started in ministry, Rob Silver was the guy I was working for. I wasn't actually full-time in ministry. I was studying at university. And, and, you know, I I didn't have any interest in working full-time in church. I loved working with Rob. We were doing this church plant down south of Sydney in a place called the Illawarra. Lovely place. Things were going great, well, I thought. And poor old Rob was having just the worst time. And it was through his worst time that I felt the calling to go into ministry. And years later, when we sat down and talked about it, he said, it was a rotten time. I couldn't see the, I couldn't see the sky. 30 years of ministry, treated awfully. But out of that, you came, Robin. So there were several other leaders that came out of that group. He says, I look back on that, not fondly, but I can see the blessing that came forth. The first thing he told me when I said to him, I believe God's calling me into ministry. He said, they crucified Jesus. What do you think they're going to do to you, Rob? He was right. It's not just the past, it's any Christian today. Following Jesus is not easy. And God calls us to a complete and total commitment to following him. And that means he's going to take us to a broken place, a place where he will break us. A.W. Tozer, the famous Christian writer, said this. He said, It is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Ouch! Ouch! That's a hard word. I have a hard time reading that and thinking, really? Yeah, yeah, okay, you're a famous Christian writer, but I'm not sure I like that. But there's some truth to that. Because we are. We are. We're set in our ways. We do our things. No matter how well we've grown or how badly we've been grown up, no matter how good our parents were or how bad they were, we, we are us. And to be the people God calls us to be sometimes... Needs a bit of breaking. And there's good old Elijah stuck. Well, oh, he's, he's not that bad. But he is stuck. He's alone in the broken ravine of no blessing. He's got no food or water. He's got to rely wholeheartedly on God. And that brings us to our next point dependent. God wants us to be totally dependent. On him. He tells him, you will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Keth Ravine, east of the Jordan and stayed there and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. What if he was a vegetarian? I always kind of have that in the back of my head. But he's, he's got food in the morning, he's got food at night and he drinks from the brook and that's it. The funny thing about dependency is in this case, he's just giving him enough for the one day, and that's it. He's gotta trust that tomorrow, the Raven's gonna show up. He's gotta trust that tomorrow, the brook's still gonna have that water there. And then the next day, And then the next day, he hasn't got a three-month supply. He's not telling the raven, hey, can you go out and bring me maybe a couple of kilos? I'll dry it up and make some beef jerky, put it to the side. In that case, you know, you get caught in a storm or something, I'll still have some food. Because that's the way I'm thinking, right? No, he's got to be dependent every day, morning, night. This is faith in action. This is what faith means. Not easy, is it? We're kind of blessed in the fact that for the most part, we can look forward to more than just one day. Just one day. I've heard many phrases from pastors in the past, you know, God guides by what he provides, and another one that's famous is God, where there is vision, God gives the provision, and it's all good, you know, but in this story, that's actually not the case, because as we read on, sometime later, the book brooked right up because there'd been no rain in the land, so all of a sudden, Elijah's alone, and the worst fear comes about, he wakes up one morning, and there is... No water. If only he had some jars that he could have saved that water up, hey? Or if he had just made that beef jerky. See, something else is now happening for him. He's learning the third point. And that third point is obedience. God doesn't always... (laughs) If there's a vision, God will make the provision. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes God takes away because it's the only way we'll move from where we're at. And sometimes it's the only point in which we will actually get up and move. Because you know what? Elijah might have gotten just a little too comfortable in that broken ravine because that's not actually where God wants him to be. So the best way to move him Hey, let's just dry up the creek. But of course, for Elijah, how do you think he felt? What's going on, God? You're the one that brought me here, alone. You're the one that put me here. You've made me completely dependent on you. Now you take the water away. What? what? Anyone been in that place before? I know we as a church feel that regularly. You brought us here, Lord. Why aren't you providing? Now people are going to interpret that, we need to move. That's not the point. But for Elijah it was, and for some of us actually it is. For some of you, the brook's dried up a long time ago, but you're still sitting there waiting. God's opened the door somewhere else, you're not seeing it. Your eyes are too focused on that dried up brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because... There had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. And I can just imagine Elijah going, I feel like I'm a pawn. Okay, God, where are you sending me now? Broken, dependent and obedience. Anyone seen The Karate Kid? Anyone watch that movie, the original one, not the, whatever the latest one was. This is a classic 80s movie, okay? Where this kid, Daniel, wants to learn how to karate, right? And he meets Mr. Miyagi. And he really wants to learn, because Mr. Miyagi does some really cool karate stuff. An old man, but he can knock all these kids over with his karate stuff. He's like, I wanna learn that. I wanna be just like you, dude. Sure, come to training. And what does he do? First training lesson. Wax on, wax off. You've got to wash my cars. And he's got a whole stack of really cool cars, but they're all dirty. And he hands him a little thing and he goes, You've got to wax on and wax off. So the poor kids are. Oh, and then he comes back the next day. What are you going to do? What's he going to do next? Anyone remember? Paint the fence. Oh, and bend your knees when you do it, right? Paint the fence. So this poor guy's gotta paint the fence. He's getting a bit tired now of this. He's getting a little fed up with the whole thing. He comes the next day, guess what's next? Sand the floor, oh no, paint the house, sorry. Paint the house. I'll do it again, bend your knees, paint the house. And then the fourth time he comes, sand the floor. He's got this big deck out the back. And at the end of it, he's really angry. Daniel's son's had enough of this. And he doesn't realize that in that whole process, Mr. Miyagi had taught him some of the fundamentals of karate. So he goes to Daniel's son, show me wax on, wax off. And he's like, no, no, no show it like this. Next thing you know, he's got these really cool karate moves. God, he's been breaking him. He was broken at the end of it, literally. At the end of standing, there's a scene, and he's holding his shoulder, and everything's hurting, and he's like, oh, "I'm so angry at you. You made me fix your whole house up." And Mr Miyagi taught him an important lesson, which actually God had started this way before with Elijah. Broken, dependent, obedient. You could almost see him. Okay, God, what's next? And guess what was next? He's making his way to Zarephath and he encounters a widow and she's collecting sticks. Hey, can you make me some bread? And the widow goes, I've got a small jar of flour and a little bit of oil and that's it. I'm collecting sticks to build a fire. We're going to eat what's left and die. And you can see Elijah immediately coming into his own. He knows what it means to be broken, to be at that point where you're collecting sticks to have your last meal because you don't know when the next one's ever going to come. He knows what it means to be completely dependent on God. And he turns to him and he says, tell you what, make me some bread and that flour will never end and that oil will never end and you and your son will eat forever. And that's exactly what happened but it gets even better because the son then dies and the the widow freaks out. You know, God's punishing me. And he's like, no, no, no. This is for his glory. Praise to God, the son is raised from the dead. Elijah's a changed man. Elijah's come out of this completely different. The whole broken, dependent obedience got him ready to go, ready to get out, ready to do. So if you want to know what faith in action looks like, be prepared to get broken. Be be prepared to be totally and completely dependent on others, on God, and be obedient. Because Jesus says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. And he doesn't mean that in a schoolyard type bullying. Hey, do what I say kind of thing. He says, do what what I say. If you're my friends, you'll get this. You'll know you can trust me. And this is the first lesson we get from this guy, Elijah. And look, it takes a bit for him to learn. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't get it just because it goes well the first time. He has to come back to that place time and again, like we all do, because it's a struggle, right? This whole, you know, broken thing, it's not fun. The dependent thing is kind of hard to do, and obedience, no one tells me what to do. I mean, it's us, right? It's completely us. And Elijah will go through it, Elisha after him will do the same. But that's part of our journey, and that's why we do it together. That's why God had intended not for you to be alone in a ravine, in that broken space, where many of you might be this morning, where many of you are feeling that this morning, that brokenness. You're just like, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm sick of this. For some of us, this week has been a bloody rotten week. For some of us, it's just been a little too much. I've been sick for like three weeks. First time in I don't know how long that I actually called in sick the day before a Sunday. And you know what? Rather than feel, oh, you know, great someone's covering me, I felt totally guilty about it. In fact, I probably shouldn't have come last Sunday. But there you go. There's Rob trying to depend on himself. My doctor told me that this week, by the way. Because, you know, he told me, I'm going to give you some medication that's going to make you feel absolutely awful. You need to take a week off from work. So I negotiated with him. How about till Friday? And he goes, you really have a problem, don't you? Well, so do you. <laughs> I don't know what to say to him. Of course i got a problem, but I'm not going to admit that to him. Now, I'm not the only one here. You're all laughing at me, but you guys are the same. Many of you in here are just like me. By the way, I'm feeling better. Boy, it was awful. But some of you have been in a far worse place where sometimes medication just doesn't help, where the hurt and the pain and the brokenness is deep. Some of you are questioning what tomorrow is even going to look like. And some of you are just struggling... Because you know what you need to do. You know what God's calling you to do. And you just don't want to do it. That's okay. Even the great Elijah had that problem. This is our journey as followers of Jesus Christ. This is what lays before us. But the one thing I can tell you you do not need to be in Kerith Ravine alone. You do not need to be there alone. The body of Christ should be, and needs to be, and will be with you. Amen to that. I ask our music team to come up. just want you to take a moment as these guys get ready. Just take a moment. Where are you at? Do you feel that you are stuck there in Kerith Ravine? Do you feel the broken part of you just, how is it ever, ever going to work? Or maybe some of you it's that dependency that you just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Where are you at? Take a moment, look to your God, and give him your heart. Share with him where you're at. As they lead us, as our team leads us in that last song of worship to the Lord, you can sing with us, you can stay seated. you want to come forward, our prayer team during the song, if you guys can come up front here. If you need prayer, you can also turn to the person next to you, or you can just stay silent where you're at. Let the Lord do a work in your heart.